Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Going for Two, the official podcast of the Extra Points newsletter. I am your intrepid host and publisher of said newsletter, Matt Brown, joining you here from uh, beautiful Overcast, Northwest Chicago, Illinois. I am joined, as always, by my friend, my co-host, Brian Fisher. Brian, I, I believe we have some relatively big collegiate sports news to kind of really get into the weeds about here this week. Yeah, I know. I was discussing with my my wife last week. You know, it's it's uh, always fun when a conference just kind of drops something on you in the middle of the week. And, and I think you know the Pac-12 announcing that they have a new commissioner certainly qualifies for that. Definitely kind of threw uh, everybody's week off last week, but uh, especially as it happened right after we we finished recording. So uh, you know, but it, yeah. it, it's 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 one of the big topics I think in in college sports. You know, just to have these turnovers for these jobs, which you know, let's face it, do not turn over all that often. Um, it, it's a big deal, and especially for not only the Pac-12. But I think for college football and college athletics in general, because this is a critical time for everybody. Yeah, it's you're right. The conference, high level conference leaders don't change over all that often and not just at the power five level, really across division one. It doesn't happen. I mean, the Missouri Valley just was bringing in a new commissioner for like 25 years. Right. Like it's they're, they're good gigs. And if you can keep them, you tend to you tend to hang on to them for a little while. So to have a high level of attrition at the most powerful, the most important leagues relatively all at once, it's a big deal. And and the, the, this is this interesting. I got to be honest with you. Um, I had no idea who George Kalivakov was the day of that press conference. And if I, I if you gave if you asked me to fill out a spreadsheet of Pac-12 commissioner candidates and who I thought the league was going to hire, and you told me to fill out fifty of them. I don't think I would have gotten there. Like we're, we're, we're maybe you're more, you were more plugged in than I was, but I, I, this was not a name I was expecting at all. It was definitely not a name. I think that uh, a lot of people were expecting it was, he, you know, he was nowhere on that short list that uh, when you're throwing out candidates and I think, you know, really what kind of hurt the, the brand recognition too, was you heard a lot of Andrew or Oliver Luck rumors, you know, kind of leading up to that event that it's, it's going to yeah. be Oliver Luck, people kind of throwing him their uh, sources and, and whatnot, uh, thinking it might, it might be him and, and signs pointing to that. But um, you know, you're right. I, I think uh, a name out of left field, um, somebody obviously who's not from the college sports industrial complex if you will and let's face it that is kind of the, the the reason why everybody's kind of scratching their head another outsider for the pac 12 and somebody that does not have that kind of brand recognition in the space which can be good for the pac 12 could be disastrous for the pac 12 and that's something that i think we're, we're going to get into on this episode is just how does this kind of hire fit with what the pac 12 is currently and, and needs to do yeah th- this is there's so many operational questions and philosophical questions that we, we, we want to get into here, but the, the why factor is still the, the biggest one. I think now after I listen to the press conference and I talked to some other ADs and I kind of asked around, I feel like I have a better idea intellectually of the appeal here, but you put yourself in the shoes of say the president at the university of Oregon or at Washington state or at USC. And you are, uh, yeah, this is not the, the greatest position that PAC 12 has ever been, ever been in, but it's still an excellent job with a bunch of excellent brands and, and a chance to really have a transformational role, not just for the conference's future, but for the future of college athletics over the next couple of years. So you think it would be a pretty attractive gig and you have a very unique and I, I don't say that pejoratively, but I, I say that, you know, as, as, a, as a loaded term, you have some unique campus politics. You have a unique campus culture within some of these institutions that 
may be more difficult to navigate if you are not a college sports person. So why, presumably, if, if you can talk to myriad college sports people, why would you pick somebody who seems to have done everything but college sports? Well, I think if, you know, I, I asked around uh, maybe about three, four weeks ago, and I still don't think, um, just based on, on talking with folks around the Pac-12, that even the Pac-12 presidents themselves had a good idea of what direction they wanted to go to, even as soon as, as you know, kind of a month out of, of making this hire. And Always a good sign. Always, always, a great always sign, feel right? good about that when you're making a gigantic executive search if the search committee doesn't know the direction they want to go. Love to hear that. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, there were some that certainly wanted uh, to be a little bit more progressive than than hiring a, an white guy from the East Coast uh, in, in this role, you know, in terms of diversity. Uh, I think that was a, a pressing uh, talking point for some uh, of those Pac-12 presidents that, that maybe would have liked to have been a more progressive hire on that front. But I think at the end of the day, this was a, a hire that everybody can kind of get get behind because uh, when, when you talk with folks that, that know uh, George Klyovkov, they, they talk about how he kind of unites people. And that's a, that's something that the league badly needs. Somebody that can take over this, this job and not only listen to the athletic directors out there, listen to the head coaches, listen to the people that are really making those day-to-day decisions and, and not only giving them the support that they need, but really uniting them back around for the cause of the Pac-12. Because I think that has gotten lost the last couple of years that kind of all, uh, you know, the, the we, we kind of joke about the SEC champ, but there really does seem to be some conference pride emanating out of that. And and I don't think there's uh, it to that level in the, in the Pac-12. And to get that kind of uh, mojo back a little bit, I think it's going to be his biggest challenge. You're not going to find that level of unity I think anywhere in college sports, that level of of institutional pride um, that exists in the Southeast as it pertains to college sports. Yeah, it's not analogous to anything in California or Oregon. And for that matter, even really the Midwest, right? I grew up in rural Ohio. I started my career covering football in rural Midwestern communities. And, And the passion around football is, I think, pretty similar to what you might find in Tennessee or Alabama. But if you hold up, if you start chanting B1G at any kind of event and you're not being extremely ironic, you will be laughed at. Nobody in the Midwest has that same level of, of cultural tie. But, but you did t- hit on something that I think is important. I've heard as well about the importance of a, of a candidate and a new leader that can unify um, not, uh, between uh, president and athletic director and school to school, because this is a league that's going to have to make some very significant changes in the short run. Um, it's going to have to ma- ask itself some really difficult questions about what it wants out of its conference network. It has to decide where it physically wants to have its conference located. It has to decide what it, whether it wants to go conventional uh, or very non-conventional for their next media rights deal. There's a whole bunch of these big picture changes that are going to have to evolve. The one big, uh, you know, gold star on, on this guy's resume seems to be he's a change maker and has been somebody that's been able to encourage and solidify support in legacy, stodgy brands to make them make big changes they might not necessarily want to do relatively quickly. And even if that, that doesn't mean, that even if you've never been to a Cal volleyball game, if you can do that, 
I think that that's experience that probably should translate well into the Pac-12, right? Yeah, I think one of his big, big tasks is, is really to when the conference office goes to a school and has a request or, you know, wants to find something out for the school to kind of not, not kind of come back and say, oh, here, here we go. We got to go talk to the conference office to really be excited to kind of collaborate with not only what, what's happening in San Francisco, whether it's on the, the network standpoint, whether it's on the conference office standpoint, but, you know, see that you have an ally there and instead of somebody that um, is there to give and take. And so I think that's that's one of the, the big things. And let's face it, you know, this is a, a critical time for the conference overall. And, and, and for him to be really truly take up that that banner of being a leader for the, for the conference, being the cheerleader that I think the league has lacked a little bit these last couple yeah. of years in terms of, yeah, there's there's some good things going on with the Pac-12. And that, not, that story not only needs to be told, but it needs to be trumpeted. And it needs to be celebrated not just by the schools, but I think outside the Pac-12 footprint as well. Yeah, that's it's a, a part of that's a challenge, right? Because most of the national media voices in this sport are, with a couple of exceptions, not based on the West Coast, not based in that Pac-12 footprint. And some of the, the biggest things you can celebrate about the Pac-12 um, are not college football related, right? Like this is a really good softball league. This has been unquestionably an excellent women's basketball league. And quite frankly, Larry Scott deserves some credit for that. Uh, it has been a league that has, has done some innovative and unique things with uh, diversity hiring for football coaches. It's, uh, it's, it's been creative in some of their other broadcasting techniques and, and not, not, you know, I'm not saying like creative in finger quotes or anything. Right. But um, if the, if the, the, the nexus of the, this sport is in still in, is run out of New York or run out of Nashville or Atlanta um, and doesn't really do anything west of the Mississippi, you're going to have to work harder to, to get that energy and attention. Probably wasn't something that the Scott administration was really great at, except when it was stepping in something. And then there he made a very easy punching bag. Um yeah, I mean, Let's they, talk about, they, they started oh, yeah, a little bit with with that for for Larry yeah. Scott early in his tenure. Certainly, they were going to the East Coast. They were making a big deal. They were going, you know, taking the, the coaches through the car wash, and yeah. that kind of trailed off the last couple of years. You know, let, let, let's be honest. You know, I think the the lack of success from a football standpoint obviously played a role in that. But you know, give give credit to the new commissioner. I mean, that introductory press conference, he definitely won the press conference in the eyes of a lot of Pac-12 fans because he said we're going to address some of these big issues that are afflicting our conference. Number one being football success, men's basketball success. Uh, you know, his, his quote right there, we know where our bread is buttered. And I think that's just the recognition of some of those issues. Not only if you're an athletic director or you're a coach in the conference, but if you're just a regular everyday fan seeing this hire, that, that that's a huge plus in, in his corner right away. Now, whether he can kind of come along and really address those issues and, and figure things out. Yeah, that, that's the big step that we're all kind of holding our breaths, waiting to see. But at least acknowledging the issue is step one for the Pac-12 in general and for the, the new commissioner to kind of make make some waves here. It's funny you mentioned that quote specifically, because I, I feel like when you when you really look at it in context, it, it does kind of represent a, a bigger Pac-12 existential question. Right. Because he, he's, he mentions we know our bread's buttered. You know, we have to we have to do better with football and men's basketball. That was in response to a question about women's basketball. Um, and, and, and that whole he brought it up kind of unprompted while talking about some of the success in other Olympic sports, which has historically been a point of not just cultural pride within this footprint, but a real a presidential level priority. 
there are Pac-12 presidents and high-level folks that want to be good at water polo and want to be good at some of these other sports. And I, I think if you frame success in football as almost adversarial to success in other things, one, I think that undercuts one of your major assets right now, which is you're good at women's sports. Um, and that's a, a, the interest in women's sports, both commercially and uh, athletically, is growing significantly in this country. Um, you, you also, I think, risk potentially causing conflicts with other stakeholders with, with, within that footprint. You're absolutely right. And I think fans want to hear this and, and ADs want to hear this. This league's got to get better at football. It has to get better at football at the top. Um, and they need to start getting picking up some wins that matter in the regular season against non-Pac-12 opponents. I, I personally don't think that that has to come at the expense of anything else that they're doing well. I'm going to be interested in following along how, how any push to improve football is per, is perceived by other people within this league because you don't want to undercut what makes you unique, you know? Hey, you're absolutely right. But I think this is also a hire that's designed to really kind of pull the presidents along and and, and provide leadership for them and, and, and help them kind of ascend to this kind of modern, uh, what it takes to be a, a power five uh, university president dealing with athletics. Because to, to me, this was a hire that was really designed to kind of address some of the shortcomings. Larry Scott did a terrific job cultivating those relationships with Pac-12's presidents and listening to them and, yes, and doing what they wanted. But sometimes it's not what they wanted because they don't know a lot about athletics. I think this was a hire that personally, I think this has, has a, you know, kind of the, the fingerprints of Kirk Schultz, the uh, Washington state president who has, uh, you know, a long history of college athletics experience uh, at the presidential level. I think he's even on the uh, uh, college football playoff uh, board of managers or board governors, whatever it, the, the technical term is as the PAC 12's representative. So um, this, this seems like a, somebody that, you know, the, the president's needed to come in and say, Hey, we, we, we've got to do this. We've got to invest in this. And, and frankly, they weren't told that by Larry Scott. And I think the, the new commissioner is going to do that. He's going to tell them, hey, we need more investment in st stadium facilities, in recruiting operations, in recruiting staffers. I mean, it, it was just it was refreshing to hear uh, at, at a new introductory press conference, somebody saying, listen, we're we're going to address things like name, image and likeness. We're going to address things like football investment. We're going to address things like recruiting. You know, when was the last time you had a, heard a conference commissioner talk about recruiting and in, in the conference footprint and how that talent drain is really Really affecting his teams you know it, it it's very rare to hear that and i, the I same can't think of it any yeah yeah i mean and and he, he talked about sports gambling and navigating a new era uh for a lot of these schools and he, he's going to be uh, i think heavy heavily involved in some of those issues that frankly the, the conference needs guidance and and the rest of college athletics needs guidance and so maybe if he can be that guy that can kind of take the pac 12 from being in in the rear to being in the front that uh, it could be a hire that that pans off pretty well the gambling component is fascinating to me. And, and I recognize that I'm looking at this in part because this is a personal blind spot for me. I, I, I've gambled in a casino once in my life. It's not something that I, I anticipate doing again. It's not really a, a, a hobby or something I'm, I'm especially passionate about. But if you, I think if you went back like just five or six years, the idea of a conference hiring a high-level um, casino executive and somebody that served on the board for online gambling would have been a complete non-starter. And now not only do you have a league doing that, like one of his, one of the conference schools, Colorado already has an individual deal with a, uh, with a sports book and the, the kind of Overton window with, uh, with how college athletics should integrate or participate or be involved with gambling 
has shifted, I think, more dramatically than literally any other issue. And that includes athlete compensation, I think, in, in these past couple of years. So, yeah, I'm, I'm fascinated to see what Pac-12 leadership looks like on the idea of gambling. Is it something we keep at, at an arm's length? Is this something that we try to embrace while also uh, prohibiting or encouraging our, our state houses to ban betting on, on in-state college programs? Do we just lean into it? Do we decide that, yes, we're going to do it? And that means that our athletes can set up these kind of deals too, because that's also been kind of an undercurrent. Some of these state level name image like this bills like, whoa, I don't know if we want our, our, our kids involved in gambling. You can't really say you don't want the kids involved in gambling if you are literally going to get involved in gambling as well. Like it's, it's not like there's like a, a, a cannabis company that that's sponsoring getting the naming rights for a, a football stadium and, and trying to get, you know, front page ad and pack 12, you know, merch or anything, right? Like they, the league can turn those things down. I mean, I, whether they do that with gambling, I, I, really, I really don't know. Cause it seems like professional leagues have been very quick to jump in bed with that industry, even though it was seen as much more scary not that long ago. Well, I think, you know, George Klyovkov was, you know, played played a role in terms of the Pac-12 coming to Las Vegas for their men's basketball tournaments. I, I think, you know, obviously the, the football game is, is going there as well to the new Raiders stadium. So it, it is kind of a home away from home for the league in, in the foreseeable future. And, you know, kind of what what the trailing aspects of that are in terms yeah. of, you know, the, the gambling aspect, I think, is something he, he can navigate, not just from having the background at, at MGM, but, um, you know, kind of understanding some of the constituencies, uh, you know, around the Pac-12. 12 in terms of what they want, because let's face it, what's happening in, in the state of Utah, Utah, you know, which is in the Pac-12 footprint, that might be the last state in the union that, that has sports gambling in terms of, uh, you know, what the state house wants to do and what they want to do versus you're, you're going to see one of the bigger markets in California in the next couple of years likely come online. So navigating some of those issues, I think, from a regulatory perspective as well, is, is going to be one of the challenges for, for the new commissioner and how he deals with these Pac-12 presidents who are also going to these state uh, state houses and, and the governor's offices in, in order to kind of uh, get their say for a lot of these laws as well. Honestly, I had completely forgotten about that, but I, th- I think you're right. Like, I mean, we already have a riverboat gambling in a lot of the deep South, but um, correct me if I'm wrong listeners. Cause I, I know I have several uh, people affiliated with college sports in the state of Utah. I, I'm guessing any kind of like, I don't even know if they have a lottery there. Like I, I'm sure like sports, sports betting would be a harder sell there than in San Francisco. Um, or Arizona for that matter. Um, the the other, I think, big interesting question that's on everyone's mind here is what to do with the Pac-12 networks, which have not been anywhere nearly as commercially successful as their as their peers and for, with other conferences. They are expensive to maintain. You have a bunch of regionals which haven't really hit their particular goals. And it was a little bit of an open question whether the league would even try to keep the Pac-12 network at all or try to fold it in here. And if I'm understanding that initial press conference correctly and uh, things can change, I'm inferring that the conference isn't planning on ditching the Pac-12 networks anytime immediately soon. They're going to work on trying to change their distribution problem. Is that something that's that's possible? Anything is possible, especially, you know, I mean, it's difficult in one sense in that, you know, the Pac-12 Networks has a deal with essentially the cable companies and and a lot of other distributors out there, uh, such as Sling TV and, and Dish Network and... You know, I, I know there's there's a lot of hand wringing going on over you know not, never getting on Direct TV, but it, it, it's a lot broader than that, right? You know, you, you need to be on YouTube TV, you need to be on uh, you know some of these other you know MVPDs, 
where, where fans can kind of get on uh, and, and sign up at will. And so that's that's one aspect. Yeah, you'd, you would love to be on DirecTV. They've taken a pretty hard stance. If you give them a favorable rate, listen, there's usually, uh, in fact, I know there's a most favorable nation clause uh, with the Pac-12 Networks deal to where if the DirecTV gets a sweetheart deal to get you know that distribution, you're, you're going to have an impact in terms of renegotiating some of those other deals as well to where you're going to get less money from some of the cable companies, from Dish Network, et cetera. So th- there's, there's that. It's a complex uh, thing uh, when, when dealing with these companies, and, and it doesn't help that they are not backed by a, a large media company like ESPN or, or like Fox. And so there's, there's that aspect of, of things as well. But uh, it, it's pretty notable. Um, I, I think that he's at least coming out from, from day one saying, we, we, we hear you, Pac-12 fans. We, we understand that the distribution of, of the networks is not where it should be, and, and we're going to work on that. And, and that's probably the, the, the most we've heard out of the Pac-12 networks um, in terms of the dis- distribution in five, six years. Um, you know, I mean, for, for years and years and years now, it's Larry Scott, well, we're, we, we've talked, we're, we're not getting a deal done. And, and that's essentially the end of the conversation. Maybe this kind of brings it back into focus, and especially with how hot sports rights are right now, and, and given a lot of the mergers and acquisitions in the space, uh, which we can maybe talk about later on this podcast, but um, you know, it's a unique time to, to be out there in the market and, and doing some of these deals. And maybe maybe you do find some distributors that are a little bit more uh, open-eared in terms of you know what, what you have to bring to the table. And so maybe he is able to address some of those shortcomings with the Pac-12 network. But I think that it's all going to have to be part a, of a larger strategy as they go to market uh, with their, their overall rights in, in the next couple of years um, in terms of what they want to do. Yeah. Well, what they want to do with the overall package, unquestionably, is tied the distribution angle. I, I suspect that the industry has changed so much, especially as the conference tries to chase younger viewers. They would get more political goodwill from their fans by getting on YouTube TV than getting on direct TV tomorrow, I think. And YouTube TV, I, I suspect, is going to be more attainable. Um, you're, you're right. Like, you know, part of the reason the ACC network has, has as much success as it has in getting distributed, I want to say, it's on basic cable almost everywhere but the Comcast footprint, and that's going to change by next year at the absolute latest. And that, as I understand it, is more about Comcast just not wanting to redo their agreements with ESPN generally uh, any earlier than they have to because that's going to be expensive. Um, but when you're on your own, you simply don't have that leverage. If you're ESPN 6, it's a different conversation. Or if you're a Fox property, it's a different conversation to get into those distribution channels. Um, I don't really know what they're going to end up doing in the next two years. And I feel like what part of what's fascinating about this league is that almost every option seems at least possible. You could redo a relatively conventional sounding tier one deal split between ESPN and Fox and, and keep the relative status quo. You could do a deal with CBS. You could maybe do a deal with this new Discovery Warner Media entity, which said they just said that they want to spend twenty billion dollars on content, and they're a little bit light on the live sports uh, area right now. Maybe you go with a different uh, television network. Maybe you decide to put primary uh, packages on a fan company. I think that's highly unlikely, but. If you're desperate for money and are willing to bet to exchange money for uh, exposure in the short term, and maybe if that's tied to a distribution deal with the Pac-12 network, maybe you end up doing that. It's hard to imagine six different scenarios for the Big Ten or maybe even the Big 12, but it does seem like everything is potentially on the table for the Pac-12. And if that's your market situation, maybe it makes sense to have somebody that that helped launch Hulu. 
uh, that worked for NBC Sports or, or has some of these other experiences because she kind of alluded to earlier, that's very different from the lived and professional experience of a cardiac surgeon who happens to be the president of a Western Research University. And, and I think it's important to keep in mind, maybe maybe Larry Scott's big bet in terms of having all of the Pac-12 media rights, he, he's not going to be around to really take advantage of it and see if that that hand, uh, you know, hits in, in, in Vegas and, and they get 21 in this one. But, uh, you know, perhaps because they have the ability to go to to the market with not just their their major football rights, but, you know, basketball, all the Olympic sports, uh, you know, right now they're contracted for 850 events. They, they have more than that in the conference. Uh, you add in the fact that they are able to kind of sell radio rights along that um you have signage rights you have all of that is involved with the pac-12 so maybe maybe they do get you know creative uh with with what they can do and maybe they bring in an amazon maybe they bring in some of these unique companies that are uh, certainly uh popping up needing inventory to to fill these streaming services to fill these other aspects and you know the the pac-12 is a better position to kind of flip the switch and and join you know one of those partners uh more than than any of the other leagues right now and so maybe Maybe that uh, is an area where he can kind of take advantage, but certainly in the short term, figuring out how the Pac-12 Networks is going to get more eyeballs and, and get the distribution it needs to really build the product up to where they can go to the market at a much stronger position. That, that is the key, I think, when he says that we want to be on all these platforms. A lot of it's just to say to when they, they go to the Foxes and the ESPNs in a couple of years, look at how many more millions we've seen an increase in watching our games. You know, that, that that's what it's really about. We, we, do, we, we don't have the fan interest that the SEC or even some of the ACC teams do. But at the same time, we, we do have a pretty significant chunk of people out in the West Coast that, that like to see our games, that like to see our programs. And, and we have some some big brands, um, you know, and, and certainly it would help if USC got their act together, uh, you know, early in the commissioner's tenure, if Oregon was still a constant, uh, you know, player in the national landscape. If you had UCLA coming back uh, under Chip Kelly, you know, those those things as well are going to drive some, some tremendous value for the Pac-12 rights. But it also kind of comes down to ultimately getting in front of those uh, you know, those, those eyeballs and, and making sure that uh, people are watching your games. I want to talk about another potential transition that this league might have to think about and, and hit on a few of those other things here. But before we do that, uh, since we're, we are talking about money, uh, I want to take a quick detour here and tell you a little bit about a couple of our sponsors here on Going for Two. The first sponsor uh, is a uh, must-read in my inbox. I get a bunch of newsletters, um, and I, I'm often looking looking for other ones. But one of, one of the reoccurring <laughs> reads that I go to all the time is Morning Brew probably heard of it. It's one of the biggest newsletters uh, right now on, on the internet. Get you up to speed on what's happening right now in business and finance and tech in just five minutes. And it's actually written in a way that you're going to want to read it. It's witty. It's informative. It breaks down some of these big picture issues, many of which intersect ex with exactly the kind of stuff that Brian and I are talking about here. But it's also written in a way that even a dumb liberal arts major like me can understand. Um, if there, we have a special promo code link to sign up here for Morning Brew that you can find on Extra Points MB. We'll put it in the show notes for this particular podcast. I mean, you can go and click go to morningbrew.com right now and sign up because it's completely free. But if you do it with our code, I get like a dollar twenty-five, or you know, or I, Brian and I split a dollar twenty-five. <laughs> so um, if if you are looking for some other ways to better understand what's going on in finance and in business and in tech and investing and what to do with the, with the stimmy that you haven't spent yet, you're gonna get a lot out of it at Morning Brew. Check out the referral code we've got at extrapointsmb.com. And while you're there, you should be reading more of the Extra Points newsletter. 
Uh, if you love this podcast and if you've listened to it for this far in the episode, I'm going to guess that you probably do. You're definitely going to love the Extra Points newsletter. Publishes four days a week. It gets right down deep into the nitty gritty. I actually wrote a little bit uh, last week right after this decision was made about some of the big operational questions that the Pac-12 is going to have to, to, to answer here with this podcast. Let's just get into that issue in a different way. Uh, this week, I was just talking with the athletic director at Nevada. I'm going to chat uh, tomorrow with the athletic director at Dixie State. We're trying to better understand what happens when you're the AD at a school or in a city that like blows up. And a bunch of new people move in and the demographics change. And what does that mean for your school? What kind of challenges does that bring? These are the sorts of things we're trying to figure out on, uh, for extra points. We also have an interview later this week with Big East Commissioner Val Ackerman. Uh, we have lots of stories coming up here thanks to Open Records. We've got a big old database so everybody can get a chance to see every athletic department budget and coaching contract and game contract. If you like this stuff, you are my people. And I want you to be a part of extra points. You can subscribe for free and get two two newsletters a week by going to extrapointsmb.com. And you can also become a paid subscriber and get access to four and our special private discord where we talk about all this stuff. That helps support this podcast. It helps support uh, the newsletter. It helps support my open records requests. It helps support me so I don't have to go get a job at the deli counter. And if you haven't done that yet, use promo code podcast at checkout to get an extra 20% off your paid subscription, get a, get a monthly subscription for under seven bucks a month. That's promo code podcast at www.extrapointsmb.com. Brian, um, oh, the other thing I want to talk about that made it, I think, very easy for outsiders and even people inside the footprint to lob slings and arrows at Larry Scott is that the guy in public... Um, did not present the appearance of being a coupon cutter. You know, he, he was, he was somebody that uh, was happy to take the premium expensive uh, model, whether that was hotel accommodations or travel or real estate, PAC 12 network headquarters, PAC 12 headquarters. It's in one of the most expensive places and one of the most expensive metropolitan areas in the country, which then begs the question, do we have to do it that way? Because like, sure, San Francisco is expensive. Los Angeles is expensive. There's a reason people are leaving. Seattle is expensive. But there's lots of other parts of the Pac-12 footprint. And even you know beyond, if you want to expand what you consider the Pac-12 footprint, that might be a little bit more cost effective. And it just so happens you just hired a commissioner who lives in Las Vegas. And has ties to the gambling industry. And has ties to the live event and sports media entertainment industry in Las Vegas. Do you hire this guy because you want to make Vegas a bigger part of your league? Or is that just reporters take draw, you know, draw connecting a dot that maybe is doesn't need to be connected yet? Yes and no. I mean, I think obviously the conference is growing much more comfortable with Las Vegas. I think it's becoming much more of a, a pseudo part of the, the footprint, you know, and just from a, a standpoint of it, it's a central location. It's obviously a lot of great hotels. It's, it's a great place for fans to go. I, I would imagine, especially now with, with the Raiders stadium there, that uh, they are going to con continue to do more in, in terms of preseason football events uh, out, out of that stadium uh, with Pac-12 teams, probably against the SEC uh, or Big 12 opponents. You're going to talk about uh, just making it more of a central destination for a lot of fans around the conference, which, you know, it, it always has been to some extent, but I think not at the level that we're going to see going forward. And, you know, do I foresee the conference moving? Yes. I think, think the conference office is, is definitely leaving uh, San Francisco at some point in the next five to 10 years. You know, I think it's, it's important to kind of go back 
the conference office was in, in Walnut Creek, California, which, you know, for those who are not familiar with the Bay Area, very kind of sleepy town. Um, you know, you'd have to take the BART way out there. And, you know, when, when Larry Scott took over, uh, they needed a place for the networks. And where where was uh, they, they going to put it? They were going to put it downtown San Francisco. It made sense to kind of combine at some point instead of all the, the office staff shuffling back and forth between Walnut Creek and downtown San Francisco, combine everything, move it down there. And I think that made sense in, in some respect. But obviously, the, the um, just the amount of rent that they were paying uh, in, in that place uh, not only caught a lot of eyeballs in terms of everybody um, not not only believing those figures, um, you know, you know, approaching nine to ten million dollars a year. Um, but everybody understood that, you know what, maybe, maybe, especially after the pandemic, we really don't need this, this kind of office space. We can either, you know, kind of go our separate ways. And it would not surprise me at all if, if in five to six years, the network operations or whatever is reconstituted as the Pac-12 networks that moves to Los Angeles, uh, or maybe even Seattle, somewhere like that. And the conference office itself ultimately ends up in Las Vegas. Um, it, it wouldn't shock me at all, not just because of the new, who the new commissioner is, but it's, it, it's becoming much more of a home base for the league and it, it, it certainly could make sense you know to where you kind of build a, a mini studio slash conference office right there on the strip and if you're partners with fox with this new tv deal well that, that's a great opportunity for them to have a studio in there as well where you can bring down your conference office staff and uh let's face it you know the, the rent is going to be a lot cheaper in, in las vegas than it is in downtown san francisco yeah, it, it, it always was kind of the strange thing because I haven't been to a ton of other conference headquarters, but they're generally not in the toniest zip codes. I live relatively close to the Chicago, I mean, to the, the Big Ten headquarters. So they have a little museum. It's, it's kind of, it's a nice building. They have some attractive conference rooms. It's not in the loop. It's not on Michigan Avenue. It's in Rosemont. It's out by the airport. It shares a parking lot with the chain Brazilian steakhouse, which is always very funny because I'm the only Brazilian in the Midwest. Uh, it's not typically what you think of as like standardized Big Ten fair food, right? Like the SEC headquarters is not in, not right in downtown Atlanta. Um, and the buildings themselves are generally not, super fancy. It's not, it's not a place you have to spend a lot of money. Um, and even though real estate prices have gone up all over the West, um, you're right. Vegas, Vegas is that is a heck of a lot cheaper. And if you can shave off 200 grand, 250 grand of every school's district, like what would, you know, give them that money back in, in rebates from what you would send them from the PAC 12 network. I don't think anybody would complain, especially because it's not like it's hard to fly to Vegas. Um, and it's nor, I mean, in a couple of these schools, you could still drive there too. And would, given the amount of television industry professionals in Los Angeles or in suburban Los Angeles, it does seem strange that you wouldn't end up eventually having some, some studios or, 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 or operations in that region. It, it, it's not, it's not a, a totally shocking for leagues to have satellite offices. I don't know if the SEC or big 12 does this, but. The well, Big Ten. The Big Ten is in New York as well. Is, so. is in New York, and they have a, a small a small operation in D.C. Um, if there was something in, in in I don't know Carson or whatever, and then something in Vegas, that'd be fine. I don't I don't I don't think anybody would complain. You'd save a little bit of money. Um, you get one you know national column complaining about Vegas, and everything would be fine. Like it, it would surprise me if that's not where we're going in a couple of years. Myself, I mean, honestly, you just kind of need a place essentially to kind of host your your media days or whatnot. I know they they've come to LA quite a bit, but you know, if you have uh, for basketball media days, they, they've often had it in in the conference office or the or the network's office, and so um, you really just kind of need a space for that. But yeah, I, I do really under yeah. you know kind of am curious. You know, maybe this is one of those post pandemic changes. Um, you know, the the WCC when their lease was up, um, you know the 
they're really essentially did not renew their lease in in the Bay Area. And I, I'm not sure they've kind of announced where they're going, but maybe we start to see where the, the fact is you don't really need a conference office because you can just jump on Zoom uh, if you need this. I mean, you can meet a couple times a week, you know, whether you, you fly to a, a central location once a month to kind of get things out of the way. I mean, the fact of the matter is a lot of these conference office staffers are, yeah, they, they, they need to be in the office to to do some meetings here and there, which can obviously be done virtually. Uh, they, they need some storage spots for uh, the, the giant flags that they got to put up when they're they're hosting their, their swimming championships and whatnot. So there's yeah. a bit of a storage element to it. But, uh, you know, I think the conference office model even, and, and this is why they a lot of the other leagues are kind of outside um, in, in, in just regular office parks is you really don't need much uh, to, to run these leagues. And I think that might be the, the big shock if you're a fan and you go to some of these places is that uh, it really is just a couple of cubicles and, and a couple of desks because there's not really a whole lot you need to do. And frankly, a lot of these people are on the road anyway, uh, quite a bit during the spring and the, in, in the fall. Yeah. I mean, I, it, it may be different at the PAC 12, but like I've been to the Mac conference office yep. and it's like, it's one floor in a hotel and you, you might have a dozen people working there full time, right? And you, you're going to have your commissioner, you have the executive assistant, you have a handful of communications people, you have a handful of like of, of sports specific administrators, like a finance person. It, it It's not, it's not a gigantic operation. I, don't, I know the Big Ten is bigger, but yeah, the, you're right. A lot of these folks are on the are on the road anyway. Yeah. Um, and that's what does make things a little bit more difficult with the Pac-12, at least, because they are so intertwined with running a TV network. And, yeah. and I mean, you know, you, you're sharing finance folks, you're sharing, um, you know, sales folks, you're selling stuff, you know, just kind of the office staff in general that you need to kind of run both. And so it, it did make sense to kind of combine the, the networks and the office staff in, in one location. Uh, so you're not really shuffling back and forth things uh, locally. But at the end of the day, um, you know, they can split things up. They, they can find a new place to go. And I, I don't think it would have a huge impact on in terms of their day-to-day operations. Yeah. I, at the end of the day here, if you're a fan, you are probably not going to visit the conference office headquarters for, for any week. Maybe you go to the big 10 and go do the, the museum that like you can finish it in an hour, but it, it, it's fine. You can get some fishwada next door. Uh, if you're in Chicago, DM me, I'll, I'll give you the address of a better place to get it. Um, but it, it, it's important still <laughs> because if you're a Pac-12 fan, it is in your best interest for your schools to find ways to be able to save more money and find a few more nickels and dimes out of the conference office. Because right now, a lot of them, especially if you're not a Los Angeles school, you have budgeted uh, for capital projects and staffing salaries and, and other improvements, assuming that you're going to make a certain amount of money from the Pac-12 network that you have not made. And so either you are in debt like Washington state or Cal or Oregon state, or you're putting off some of these investments that you need to make because you need the money. And it's not like you're going to suddenly have enough money to start a hockey team because you moved the PAC 12 network into a strip mall in Henderson, Nevada, but all of these things add up. And sooner or later you're talking about real money. And I think, big picture here. That's the hope. You hope you're bringing in some conference leadership that can not only speak credibly and advocate for the league and college parts as a whole. We didn't even really get to this, but that unquestionably means playoff expansion. That means being a bigger cheerleader for Western athletic interests. Uh, but that also means then being a, a business leader to help shore up the books for a lot of these schools. Because if, if you're in the Big Ten and you mess up your TV deal and you only make 85% of what's what's possible, uh, is, is it going to sting a little bit? Yeah, but Ohio State's going to be fine. And the bulk of your membership 
ship is going to be fine. Everybody already has a palatial football building in the Big Ten, essentially, except for Rutgers. And it's not like a football building is going to make Rutgers suddenly go 10 and 2. But if you're in the Pac-12 and you leave that money on the table, that is potentially more significant given how far behind many of those schools already are. So that's what you're hoping for. And if that means changing some things up on TV, great. If that means changing your address, sounds great too. I would uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't nail anything to head the headquarters for a little bit until you're super sure where they're going to end up next year. Well, yeah, you and you mentioned playoff expansion, and I think that was the one thing that caught a lot of people's you know ears when in, in his introductory press conference. Not only was it a big win for fans to hear him push for playoff expansion, but push for it right now. You know, I think it, 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 not only is the Pac-12 being left out on the field, but I think that the lack of the conference in that conversation on those Tuesday shows with ESPN, uh, the, the lack of just playoff talking points around the league, not just for teams being in the race, but for teams even on the periphery of the race, um, not, not really being in that conversation whatsoever. And, uh, you know, having all the oxygen kind of sucked up by the SEC, uh, by Clemson, by Ohio State, and, and the rest of the Big Ten, that, that hurts the conference brand. And so I think it was... An important point that he made very, very clearly in terms of saying, hey, th- this is one of my priorities. I-, I don't want just playoff expansion. I want it now. And and it was interesting, too, because the next day, uh, ACC Commissioner Jim Phillips came, came out and had his kind of post-spring meetings um, yeah. press conference. And he was a little bit more measured, you know, said certainly seemed open to the idea of playoff expansion. But, you know, it's kind of s- fell back to kind of being that college administrator. Oh, we want to study it. We want to talk about it. We want to be measured um, versus he's the a, he's coming a, he's out a, here he's and a, saying, he's a big time guy like yeah. that's what he has to nobody in northwestern does anything quickly we've watched their offense exactly and and like the, the new guys coming out here firing bullets you know he's saying we we want expansion we we want more teams we want our we want a guaranteed spot in in the playoff and let's face it uh you know soon come june july certain decisions are going to be have to be made and and we're going to have to kind of go down that route with the playoff itself and so you have the guy coming in and not only is it a breath of fresh air for the fans but i think it's going to be interesting to see how his new commissioner buddies and, and new peers uh, at that level are going to kind of yeah. treat the the uh, impetus that uh, he's, he's going to kind of take playoff expansion when they end up meeting uh, this summer. Yeah, I, I guess we can kind of wrap up on this, right? Like part of the reason that Bill Walton is so endeared by so many pa- fans of Pac-12 schools isn't just because he might decide to just talk about the Grateful Dead for 12 minutes during a terrible Oregon State basketball broadcast. Well, that is a delay. But he is like the closest thing that this entire universe has to a Pac-12 nationalist, somebody who will be as un- unafraid to be an unabashed you know, advocate of the interests of those schools. And we can poke fun and laugh if he's going to put five Pac-12 teams in his final four or whatever. And it helps that he's already uh, a, you know, a personality where you can get away with that kind of thing. But Lord knows the SEC has enough SEC nationalists advocating for them um, in the public square and behind the seats. The Big Ten has plenty of Big Ten nationalists advocating for themselves in the public square and behind the scenes. Even the Pac-12 network didn't didn't really operate that way. So if that's what the the new commissioner hire is going to be, I mean, I don't recommend that he use the same language or format that Bill Walton might, um, unless there's some things here that we don't know about him that that maybe we'll find out in a little bit. But there's a vacuum for that. And um, I, 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 I suspect if you are a fan of Cal or Stanford or Oregon, you wouldn't hate another person in the college athletics universe forcefully advocating for the West. Because if you don't do it, it's not like the, the it's not like a columnist from the Salt Lake Tribune is going to do it for you. No, no, there, there, there's not. And I think that's obviously one of the priorities that, that he's going to have to address uh, among the myriad of issues that, um, you know, I think are, are on his plate from day one. And to me, 
What this hire really represents is is the Pac-12 finally has a a true cheerleader, um, you know, kind of for the for the conference that, that can spread the gospel uh, of the Pac-12 far and wide. Because, I you know, I, I frankly think Larry Scott didn't do a good enough job of that. You know, I think if there's one issue is, you know, as as much as uh, we want to talk about uh, the conference of championships and uh, conference of champions and that moniker and everything that kind of went into it in terms of what they've won uh, in the Olympic sports, you know, not a whole lot was made of the fact that they. they they still made some pretty good football players over the years. You know, Justin Herbert was tearing up the league uh, after a lot of skepticism. You know, Oregon's winning the conference and, and producing some pretty good players. USC's making first-round draft picks. You know, there was still a lot to sell, uh, both on the on the football field and the basketball court, and you just never heard it. And, and I think that the new commissioner is going to make sure that those talking points are at least out there and, and getting discussed a lot more than his predecessor. And so I think that's number one, uh, kind of on his mind, whether you're a fan, whether you're an ad- administrator, yes, you, you want to hear the, the listening tour. You want to hear your grievances out there, but at the same time, you need somebody that is, is ba- pounding the table nationally for what this, this conference is and, and what it represents and what it wants to be going forward. And I, th- I think the, the new guys is going to do that. The, um, we're going to talk more over these next couple of weeks, I think, about trying to, to really kind of dig into how college athletics are different in, in, in different parts of this country. We did this a little bit with our Texas explainer. Next week, we have a friend of the program coming in to help us really dig into Florida. Um, we're spending some time here on Extra Points itself, trying to, to uh, pop the hood open a little bit more on parts of the West. All of this stuff here fits together, and I look forward to having you listen and read along as we, we dig into this, this offseason here together. Brian, where can people on the internet find you? As always, on Twitter, Brian D. Fisher, B-R-Y-A-N-D-F-I-S-C-H-E-R. Best place to find me and all of my random musings on the end of the soccer season as well. Uh, you can find me at Matt Brown EP on Twitter. I'm at Matt at Extra Points MB. If you want to email me, um, my DMs are open and I run Extra Points. That's www.extrapointsmb.com uh, for the newsletter that keeps this whole thing together. Brian, it's been a pleasure. Uh, I'll catch up with you next week. We'll talk, we'll talk some Sunshine State. It'll get a little weird because we're talking about Florida, so it's always going to get a little bit weird. It'll be fun. Um, in the meantime, everybody, thanks for listening. Thanks for subscribing. Thanks for sharing this show and our written word. We'll catch up with you next week. <laughs>